Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27 this morning. You may have an electronic device that you need to open up, but go for that. And uh, when you get there, please stand as we, uh, as I read the Word of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel. And I will bless them. Amen. You may be seated. This portion of Scripture, I believe, is one of the most sacred portions of Scripture for us as God's people. If we can just barely touch the depth of what's here and understand just a little bit of it will be the better for it. You know, this is one of the, the the most difficult things in life is simply to discover the way we're to interact with God. You know, to understand what God requires and to be blessed by God. I don't know anybody, I've never met anyone I probably have, but they never said it. But I've never met anyone who said, I don't want to be blessed. I don't want God's blessing in my life. I've never heard that before. I'm sure there are people that feel that way, but uh, I haven't met them. Deep down in our hearts, especially as believers, we want God's best. We want to be blessed. I mean, what's better than being blessed by God? And as I've said before in regard to this portion of Scripture, the Lord didn't leave it up to Moses. He didn't leave it up to Aaron or the other priests to figure out, wow, how can we bless this nation? How can we be a blessing to these people? This is the way, he says to Moses. You don't have to try to figure it out. I'm so glad that I don't have to try to figure you out to figure out what you need to bless you as a pastor. As your pastor, I'm glad I... That's God's deal. <laughs> he knows how to do it. He knows the depth of the needs of each one of us. And there is a way. There is a way in which we can be blessed by God. Now, we're not talking about physical, earthly, temporal blessings per se, although that is included in it. But as Paul writes to the Romans, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The things that God has to offer you and I are eternal. Those are the greatest blessings that we can experience in life. And to what, just the temporal, the things that have an expiration date on them, is really kind of sad. It's a very poor perspective for one to to have that kind of perspective. That is the perspective of the Gentiles, those, the heathen, who know not God, who don't have the oracles of God, nor understand the ways of God. They're, They're in it for the here and now. They don't think in terms of the long view of life 
having the eternal perspective. But once we're born again, our eyes are open to the greater reality of what really matters, what really counts. And so as we come to this portion of Scripture, it, I'm going to be honest with you, this is really intimidating as a teacher of God's Word. I mean, how can, you know, how can you really unpack this? I mean, this is, this is the Lord's poetic revelation of, of himself and of his character to us and how, he, how much he desires to bless his people and his tender care for us, his compassion. It's just amazing. This is the way. There is no other way, by the way. <laughs> this is the way of blessing. Well, it cannot be found in any other way. Here at the end, it's really a summary and, and sort of the outcome, if you will, of God's people who are exhorted to exercise loyal love. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. To exercise this loyal love to God. They express this through their commitment to the rules and regulations and the statutes that he had given to them as, as a nation to separate themselves from the clean and the vile, the unclean and, and the vile, to separate themselves to, to be holy unto the Lord and sacred before him. And so God, wanting to bless them and secure their lives in the blessing, gave them this little poetic priestly blessing for the priest to utter over them as their intermediary. He was the mediator, the priest. Remember, the priest's responsibility was to represent God to the people and the people to God. And so God had ordained this authority structure by way of using the priest to bring about his blessings. It was, as we see here at the end, as we read, I will bless them. It's, understand this, the blessing does not come from the pastors, does not come from the priest. The blessing comes from God. But the channel by which it comes through, regardless of the necessarily the character or the person it comes through, God has ordained such activity. So you remember the high priest, gave a prophecy that one should die for the nation when they were examining Christ and speaking of him. They wanted to kill him. And this, the high priest, the ungodly high priest, Caiaphas at the time, uttered this prophecy that is expedient that one die for the nation, that the whole nation not perish. You know, it wasn't because of his holiness. It wasn't because of who he was. It was because of the position that he was in that God used him to bring forth a truth that needed to be spoken. And so, despite who a, a priest might be or not be, the blessing can come through that person and it is God who does the blessing. Make no mistake about that. It's kind of like when we pray for our food, right? Someone bless the food. Well, the, the person who's praying isn't blessing the food. Thankfully. <laughs> Hopefully the cook's really anointed though. You know? <laughs> but it's God who blesses the food and causes our bodies to be nourished by it. And anymore, you really got to pray the Lord cleanses the food we're eating. My goodness, I'm kind of concerned about that, but that's another subject. Um, the priest here had several functions and responsibilities uh, before the people. And, you know, that's, 
you, you get the tremendous responsibility that was placed upon the priesthood. They were to supervise and administrate all the sacrifices and all the offerings. Think of the thousands and thousands of animals that were sacrificed. Uh, think of all the rituals that these men had to perform daily and weekly, monthly, just year after year. Tremendous responsibility to distinguish between the sacred and the common, the clean and the unclean, all those things, the, the impure and the pure, all that. And then they had to make sure that the temple was purified, you know, because there's, you know, we're such fallen creatures, right? They had to protect the sanctity of the sanctuary, you know. Don't let anybody come in here or, or they'll get killed, you know. And we've got to protect the people from themselves. Just constant weight of responsibility of representing God to the people and, and the people to the Lord. They had to interpret what was going on in, in, in the camp, and sometimes they become judges of, of the matters. Uh, if somebody had a disease, they had to figure out, well, you know, you need to stay outside the camp until we find out what you've got here. They Just all kinds of responsibilities upon these men. And sometimes they would even have to give speeches before they went into battle. I mean, just a whole variety of responsibility placed upon the priesthood. And that's really the way it is even to this day. A lot of responsibility uh, for pastors to truly shepherd the flock of God. If they have a heart after God and to shepherd the flock the way God would have it shepherded, it's a tremendous responsibility and weight that a person can carry. And so uh, as we look at the passage here now, do the best we can to sort of unpack it here, uh, we want to look at three things after we think about the Lord a little bit. Because the Lord is mentioned every time in each one of these lines. The Lord. This is Yahweh. You notice that it's all caps. So we know that that's Y-H-W-H, the unpronounceable name of God. Yahweh. And so we, but the three things are, that are covered, which are actually the most needful for mankind. And that is protection, that is provision, and that is peace. These are the three important things that are mentioned in this priestly blessing that are really important for us to understand. But before uh, we break those three down, I think it's very important to, as always, to contemplate the person of God. Now when you hear the word Lord... Or someone says, God. I mean, we all automatically have, and, and I'm not saying it's right, it's just sort of kind of what we do. We have a certain impression, a certain image that we have in our mind. Like, what is God like? And so, uh, for those of us who have been walking with the Lord, we, we immediately go to the Lord Jesus, right? I mean, that's really the best place to go because otherwise it's just, you know, imaginary stuff, right? If you really want to know what God is like, his nature, his character, then you look at the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was his, his, his own words. So you, you know, the best that a human being can understand God in this journey of life is to look at the person and work of Jesus Christ. His love, his compassion, his provision. I mean, the guy is just, he's a handy guy to have around, you know. You get hungry, he just breaks the fish and the bread. You're sick, he heals you. 
You die, he raises you from the dead. I mean, you know, it's just handy to have around. <laughs> Can do everything, <laughs> right? But something comes across your mind. And, you know, and it doesn't take long to get here. Uh, how do you comprehend the incomprehensibility of God? You, God is incomprehensible. You'll never fully grasp that. He's just beyond our world. And so this... Obviously, when we hear, think of the Lord, we should pause. We should just, for a moment, just be in awe of who created this. You only have to look at what his works are in nature to just sort of be humbled. Look at anything. Look at the plant life. Look at flowers. Look at the design. I mean, one little flower should, is enough to blow your mind on what is, he's created. And think of the varieties without number, you know. Go to the sea and look at the sea monsters and all the creatures in the sea. Well, that'll you know, mess with your mind. It's just incredible. Uh, his creation is an expression of his beauty. You just are in awe of this God who is our Father. And this is an important thing to do regularly, I think. Just coming to God, not wanting to make any requests, just telling Him, wow, how impressed you are, how much you love Him, how good He is, how beautiful He is. Just staring in amazement, you know. Yes, jaw-dropping amazement is okay, right? He would take the time to be intimate and personal with you. When you read through this, for example, the Lord bless you, the word you there is singular. It's not talking about the nation per se, although God does bless nations and he does bless ethnic groups. This is singular. It is the individual here that God has in mind when this priestly prayer is to be spoken over his people. The Lord bless you, the intimacy, the deep personal relationship that God wants to have with each and every person. Now, that, that's just another issue right there that's, that's mind-numbing, is to contemplate seven billion people alive on this planet presently. And God knows the very hairs of every one of those heads he knows the thoughts of every one of those people before they ever think them. You, you know, you, you just run out of words. To What kind of being are we talking about here? It's, it's incomprehensible. And so this is a very important thing to do in our relationship with God. You know, I could go on, obviously. He just, he, he, he's pretty impressive, isn't he? <laughs> his might, his power. His love, his compassion, gee whiz, it just, wow. And to realize that he makes himself approachable. But his approachability is always based on his terms. You know, the arrogant lost soul who says, well, if there's really a God out there, then why don't he just show himself to me? You know, obviously that person has no idea what he's talking about. 
And that's sort of the blindness that we're all born into. We need to have our eyes opened. So, bless you. The Lord bless you. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thing? It it means a lot. It's a it's a very rich word to bless. You know, it, it means to endue with special power or protection and protection actually uh, to grant well being. I like the way um, Max Licato said it years ago and uh, early on in one of his books. Uh, to be blessed is to experience sacred delight. Isn't that great? It's, it's happiness and joy in what God calls good. That is what it means to be blessed. And so the idea behind blessing is that God wants to bring that person or persons into a closer encounter a closer relationship with him. That's why God blesses us. He wants us to wants to be close to you and to me. He wants to have intimacy. It's no different than as it is with as earthly parents. We want to have a decent relationship with our children. There's nothing probably more painful than to have broken relationships with our children, those that we love and that we're close to and that we've sacrificed and given ourselves to 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 help them along and then for them to turn on us and betray us this is very hurtful and so you know put yourself in the position of God as he looks upon rebellious humankind how it breaks his heart but then how much more it blesses his heart for those who have turned and repented and come home to father you know it's he wants to bless uh, think about this for a moment God wants you to be blessed more than you want to be blessed now, I know some of you younger brothers and sisters might think, oh, no way, there's no way he can want to bless me more than I want. Because I really want to be blessed, you know, <laughs> right? Well, he does. <laughs> he wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed because his blessing imparts life. We don't always look at, at blessings as receiving life from God, but we should. The question then becomes, if God is so willing to bless people and he is so desires to do that, then why aren't people blessed? Why is it that even in the church, that there are many people within the church of Jesus Christ that are not enjoying the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ? Why aren't people blessed? You know, the Lord wants to be close. I mean, Revelation 3.20. The Lord is standing at the door of every heart. He's knocking. If any man opens the door, I will come in. And I will dine with him, he with me. That's intimacy. Sharing a meal. Got any plans for this afternoon? Who are you inviting over for lunch? Who are you having over for dinner tonight, you know? The Lord will come. He'll share his presence with you. How many would like to have dinner with Jesus, right? That's great. Great stuff, man. You see, it's God's passion to impart life. He wants to bless. He wants to give life. He's the greatest giver of all. Nobody can outgive God. He loves to give. He loves to meet the needs of people. You know, he even gives to the ungodly and to the unthankful. Which, you know, when I think of that, I think, 
Well, why? They don't deserve it. As if we do. Don't you know that God got such a good deal when he got me, you know? No, he didn't, you know. God is just, that's just who he is. He's so giving. So why is it that some are not blessed? I, You know, you look for illustrations sometimes, and I, I agree with Pastor Chuck. I think the best illustrations are in the Bible. I mean, that's why they were written, so that we could get the picture and get the idea of like, oh yeah, I need to do that. Oh, I'm not going to do that because look what happens if I do that. Look what happened to that guy, you know. We, we, we learn from those things. And so I thought on this for a bit, and I thought of Esau. Here's a guy, uh, this would be Genesis 20, uh, 25 and 26, who sought the blessing of God. And in a, in a word, the problem with Esau, and it's the same problem with a lot of people who live after the flesh, because he's the type of the flesh, is they want the blessing of God without the commitment. Understand that. Without the commitment of loyal love and returning the same love that God has towards us, loyal love, Hesed, if we don't return that loyal love and commitment to him, then we can't expect the blessings of God. See, Esau wanted it his way. He wanted to live the way he wanted to live and have the blessings of God on his terms. Well, that's not how it works. Not at all. Because you, it is not within man to know what is right, to know what is best. Only our Father in heaven knows what is best and right for each one of us. So Esau sought the blessing of God and he did not find it. Number one, he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. You know, the spiritual things were really not that important to him. It was the here and now and the temporal that garnered his attention and his interest. He did not have a long view or an eternal view of life. His grandfather, Abraham, much different, who saw the city of God, whose builder and maker was God. And though he did not inherit the promises, he saw them afar off and he embraced them. That's what a man of faith does. The things that you've been praying about and thinking about and hoping for, they may not happen in this life. But that doesn't mean that in God's time they will not be fulfilled. But we're called to faith. Esau was not interested in any of that at all. And he rather, in actuality, became disappointed when his expectations were not met. Again, he desired a blessing of God without the commitment to the things of God. He cried. The Bible says a great cry, a bitter cry in the end. And then he falsely accused Jacob. Is he not rightly called Jacob, the heel catcher, the schemer, you know, crying out to Isaac who'd already blessed Jacob? Well, first of all, you know, he's accusing him of taking his birthright wrong. He did not take his birthright. Esau forfeited for a bowl of soup. That's on him. Taking his blessing, as it were, from his father. Well, in reality, it was mom's idea. (laughs) 
And Jacob had his issues, don't get me wrong, but he loved God and he had the eternal long view of life. So there's reasons why people do not receive the blessing of God because they are unwilling to commit to the ways of God. This is the way. This is the way. There is no other way. God is calling for total commitment and surrender of our lives to him. And in doing so, we receive the fullness of the blessing of his life in exchange. And that's a pretty good little deal if you want to consider it being a deal. How many Christians sell their birthright for a bowl of soup? It's really kind of sad. What people will give up in place of having in, in 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 place of the presence of God in their life. They'll forfeit the joy and the peace and the love for you fill in the blank. Too many lame excuses. As it's well been said by many, those that are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. There's no excuse for that. A person needs to be convicted and realize, look, where's the end of this? We need to visualize the consequences of our choices. If I do thus and so, this is where I'm going to end up, generally speaking. If I do this, then this is where I'm going to end up. What kind of harvest do I want to have? What kind of seeds do I want to plant in the present to reap the harvest in the future? Those are the kind of questions that we need to ask ourselves. And what happened, what's sad is many believers today in the church have the, a value system that is equivalent to what the world values. And they're all on an expiration date. Everything you're seeing with your eyes, except two things, are going to perish. Two eternal things, the word of God and the souls of men, everything else is going to burn. That's the perspective you need to have. Anything less than that, and your, your sights are not set on the right things. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't get to enjoy the things. That the Bible's clear on this. God has given us richly all things to enjoy, but not before God. Not, not before your commitment to him. People just don't stop and think that what they are pursuing and to possess and what they maybe already possess is going to go away. You need to be reminded of these things. Don't surrender your birthright for the inheritance that God wants to give you. He wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. Secondly, and I'm spending some time with this because I think this is foundational for the rest of it, of what is in this blessing. So how is it that we, as believers that do well, and we love the Lord and we're walking with the Lord, but we can still forfeit blessings. We don't always receive everything that God has in mind for us. And you can look this up and read through some of this on your own, but it's Second Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16. It's the, it's the administration of Asa, king of Judah. Good man. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He pulled down the idols and he, he worshipped Yahweh. He, he did a lot of good things. And right out of the gate, when things were tough, he sought the Lord and the Lord blessed him and prospered him. And in chapter 15, he received the prophetic utterance from uh, the prophet 
you know, in, in the victory that God had given them. And he, there was kind of a warning in there, as long as you seek the Lord, the Lord will be with you. And that's a good thing to remember. As long as we seek the Lord, he will be blessing us and be with us. If we forsake the Lord, he'll forsake us. So there's responsibility here. If you read through his administration and some of the decisions, uh, chapter 16, he uh, prospered greatly and became very wealthy uh, because of his obedience to God. But then Basha, the king of Israel, were coming into some of the cities there and making it hard for the citizens of Judah to go in and out and just really hassling them. And rather than inquire of the Lord and ask the Lord to, to help him with this uh, serious problem going on in, in, the, in the nation at that time, he decides to hire uh, the enemy of Israel, the Syrians, Ben-Hadad. And he says, look, you know, I, I know you've got a treaty with these guys, but I'll, I'll, how much you want? You know, and break the treaty with him and, and, and hassle him so he backs off from us. And how much do you want? And so he paid the guy. And it worked. And he's sort of smug and his plan actually worked. And it looked good on the surface. You know, Basha leaves. They go down and take all the spoils that were being built in these strongholds. And they take the spoils and the wood and the supplies and everything. And they go fortify their cities. Smooth, smart, wise, but not in the eyes of God. He leaned on his own understanding and he trusted in his own resources. That's a mistake for the Christian. First and foremost, we always need to inquire of the Lord about everything. Big, small, doesn't matter. Lay it before God. Cast all your cares upon him. Don't lean to your own understanding. Just because you may have lots of wealth and the ability to do certain things, don't just trust in that. Trust in the Lord. And so when he was confronted with this, he became angry. He began to persecute those who told him the truth. You know, you can, you can really get upset with people who tell you the truth sometimes if it's when you're self-willed. And so this was the issue. This is why some do not experience but this is the verse you should take home with you and hide in your heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You understand? This is what God is after. Just simple loyalty. If Asa would have taken the time to say, Hey Lord, you know this really is a problem here with Basha and what he's doing to, to our people. Would you... Show me what to do. You know what would have happened? God would have helped him. God would have directed him, and it would have been a blessing. Instead, he leaned to his own understanding. Sometimes we think we've got the best plan, and God bless my plan. Well, no. It doesn't work that way. And he just sort of hardened his heart. You see, at the end of chapter 16 there, he gets a disease in his feet. And rather than, again, rather than inquiring of the Lord in his sickness, he seeks the physicians. 
Not a good choice. So this is what can happen. Understand, we have a fallen nature and we are prone to lean on our own understanding and trust in ourselves. And God would not have it that way. If we want to do it in the way of the Lord, follow the Lord's way, then it would be that of inquiring the one who desires to bless us. First and foremost and always in everything. Secondly, okay, so, so there again we have this protection that includes God's blessing. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. This is what God is doing as we seek him. The word here, keep, is shamar. It is the idea of guarding or keeping safe. And, and, and it's, again, tied together with the blessing of God. We are in great need of protection from our enemies. There's no question that they, is Judah needed protection. We need protection. We need protection from enemy that we can't see with our eyes. We don't often remember, as we should, that we're in the midst of spiritual warfare. The unseen realm is alive, and, and especially right now, there's a heightened spiritual activity that's taking place in the whole world right now. The world is not at rest. <laughs> There's a lot of demonic activity. A lot of things are happening. There's a devil and there's demons at large and you and I need to be prepared for that. The Lord keep you. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. They're tied together. We need his protection. From the devil and the demons, we also need protection from the world. The world system that we are naturally addicted to and in love with by nature the enemy's using it to entice us, to draw us away. We're under the curse of sin. We're susceptible to injury. We need protection from the world and the world system. You know, it's interesting. I love to pray this. The Israelites prayed that the Lord would go with them as they went out and as they came in. I think that's a good prayer to pray for yourself and your family. Lord, be with us today as we go out and as we come in. Be our foreguard, be our rear guard. God, please protect us and guide us. Now, we had a fellow here in the church uh, last Sunday um, evening, afternoon, was in a head-on collision. Graham was in a head-on collision. And, you know, just, just, I can show you some pictures if you're interested in, but just living proof that the angels are still at work. Uh, and I think his were actually working overtime. I don't know if they got paid for it, but uh, you ought to see that truck. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's, and to, there's a he's a uh, renovator. He does renovations and things, and so he's you know, he's as a carpenter. He's got tools, and you know sometimes the job gets late, and you just throw stuff in the back of the truck. I'm going to go home, right? So there's a there, there's a caulk gun sticking through the windshield at the impact, head on collision. But all he has is a cracked bone in his right ankle because the brake pedal pushed back really hard on impact. And um, a little back soreness and a fractured in his collarbone. Amazing. We need protection. <laughs> he had protection. So there are three things that we need protection. I'll break it down real quick. Just the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the things that we need protection from. That's what God will guard us. 
Then it says here, the, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Now, this is great to me. Um, when you see someone face to face, what does that indicate? You know, we have fellowship with people over the phone, but we, you know, it's kind of like prayer. We hear the voice, we talk, and we communicate, but we don't see. But face to face is, you're right there. This is a, um, speaking his face to shine upon you is speaking of God's presence in your life. There's nothing uh, more precious than that. And God is smiling with his generous, loving smile towards you and towards me. I just think this is the word. It's the word paneum. And uh, it speaks of the physical face. And God would often, in their case here, show up in the camp the angel of the Lord, uh, they were supposed to keep the camp tidy because the angel of the Lord would actually walk through the camp. You can find that uh, in Exodus. And so, uh, but for us it is, you know, speaking uh, enigmatically of the Lord's presence. This is, so, in that Middle East culture and language uh, speaks, uh, when someone's face shines upon you, they're, they're, they're it, it indicates favor. So the presence, you're loved, so I'm coming to you because I love you, and you found favor in my sight. So the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Well, what happens in the presence of God? Well, we're transformed. Nobody that has an encounter with God remains the same. Look through every example that you see where a man or a woman, has a, a physical and an encounter with God, there is a transformation that takes place. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's why where any two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. And when the Lord's in the midst, there's going to be some changes made for the good. The beauty of the Lord will be upon us. So, again, this is an exhortation to those who are watching online. You know, it's okay to watch online. I'm glad you're watching online. A lot of people watch online. That's good. But it's no substitute for being in the family of God present. There's a, I can tell you right now, there's a dynamic that takes place in our worship that you can't experience on your screen. You can only experience it if you're here in person with the family. I've said it before. It remains true. It's true then. It's true now. It's true forever something special about being together in the presence of the Lord. The undetected things that happen, we don't even know they're really happening, but we feel changed, we feel cleansed, we feel different. That's part of God's blessing. The joy and the peace, the healing, the understanding, those are the things that happen in, in the presence. Of, wrongs are made right. It's the endless blessing. Protection. Then, Provision. In the way of God, there's provision and grace. The Lord be gracious to you. The idea of grace appearing. Titus talks about this in chapter 2. And I want to borrow a little bit from chapter 2. Uh, because it's so applicable to this situation. We we hear grace, we think, oh, you know, we just define it in our minds, you know, unmerited favor and God's good and, yeah, so kind and forgives me and merciful. And, you know, we just, yeah. 
Oh, but the grace of God is much richer, much deeper than that. It has appeared to us in the person of Jesus Christ, obviously, through the incarnation. It's become visible. We can see and understand the grace of God. We can see and understand the grace of God because of the changed lives that you and I have. You're not the same. You've been born again. You're a new person. And you continue to grow and change and bring forth fruit. That's grace. That's visible grace. It brings salvation. It teaches us to deny ungodliness. The grace of God teaches us. It's the great instructor. One of the things about Jesus is, of course, the most humble human being ever, right? Nobody's more humble than God. And yet, we, in our minds, we think, well, in order for us to really be humbled, we, have to, we make mistakes, and so therefore we are humbled by our mistakes. Well, that does humble us. Or it should. <laughs> but in reality, what is it that brings the greater humility? It's grace. It is the grace of God that instills humility within us. Because having, knowing what we've received is not from ourselves, but from God. We didn't, we didn't, nothing originated here with me or you. It's all originated from God and he's the giver. And so we have perspective and therefore humility comes through grace. It teaches us to deny worldly desires. It teaches us to live soberly. This is all in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15, which we're going to cover Wednesday. It teaches us to live righteously and godly. It teaches us to look with our eyes, our spiritual eyes, and gain understanding. To look for the blessed hope, the return of Christ. Is appearing. It causes us to look at what Jesus did on the cross. To look at our redemption. That we are God's special people. That's what the grace of God does. The way of God is the provision of grace, provision of goodness. And then he says... The Lord lift up, in verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The idea of lift up is to carry oneself. So God is raising up as if to carry his countenance, his face. So he's taking the initiative to look in your direction. Remember, this is the Lord bless you individually. You are on his mind Everything about you, your thought process, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your pains, your sorrows, everything that encompasses your being, God is turned in that direction and he is laser focused on you. I know that's hard for some of you to believe that God would be that focused, but this is what it's talking about. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Wow, I don't, that's just so overwhelming to me. That he would look with favor because you are loyal to him. Because you love him. You're returning the love that he's given you back to him. And now he's looking with, how can I bless you? How can I protect you? How can I provide for you? How can I direct your life so that you have more life? An abundant life experience. Verse 27. 
And then lastly, here we again, we have peace. In the way of God, there's intimacy and peace. Shalom. That's the word that's used here, obviously. In the presence and power of God, God wants to raise us to that experience in life where we experience life on its highest level. That is what shalom is. It's more than just tranquil, a tranquil mind, a calm mind. It's way beyond that. It, in, it is an, a, a deep, rich theological term that in, involves the whole body of Christ, the whole family of God. Heaven is shalom. It's a perfect peace. There's no unrest. Someone this morning prayed for those that are in depression. That's the absence of peace, by the way. It is, it is a person who is focused on past. That, that is what causes depression. There's a focus on the past that cannot be changed. Anxiety, on the other hand, is the absence of peace because you're looking to the future. And that can is unknown, but not unknown to God. And so for depression and anxiety to depart, for peace to be received, it requires faith. To know that God wants to bless you and me with peace. I love it. There's peace. There's a couple different pieces that the Bible talks about. There's peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're no longer enemies with God. We're no, there's no war going on. We're surrendered. White flags up. We're, we're surrendered. But then the step for the believer is the peace of God. What does it say about that in Philippians? The peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind. Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Come to a place of faith and let the peace of God rule. Be the umpire in your heart. This is God's will. Shalom. is a thing of total harmony with yourself before God and with your brothers and sisters and then in the community of believers. It's, shalom is it's a discriminating thing because God holds it back from the wicked. The Bible says, there is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. Isn't that amazing? The wicked have no peace there. The sea is the idiom for chaos. And it says that the wicked are like the waves of the sea. They're tossed. God forbid that a believer should be tossed to and fro by this world or what the world may be trying to put upon us. We should be in perfect peace and harmony. We're not of the world. We're not involved in chaos. We're involved with peace. This is a very important thing to let shalom. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It can only come from God. You can't work it up. You can't just, you know, meditate it in. It's God giving it to you. This again is speaking of deep, intimate, personal relationship with God. This is the way. There is no other way. Shalom is a powerful, powerful thing. And in doing this blessing as a pastor or as a priest in the case of Israel, in having this 
priestly blessing prayed over you, you're having the name of God put upon you. Isn't that wonderful? You got God's name on your forehead. You can't read it. It's invisible ink, right? It's been embossed by the Spirit of God. It is seen in the spiritual realm, but it's not seen with the human eye. I will put my name on them. What does that mean? He owns you. He owns you. He bought you. You are not your own. You do not belong to you anymore. You've been bought with a price. What does the Bible say? Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That is what we are called to. And it is only loyal love and commitment to God that you will experience this priestly blessing in your life. I will bless them. Well, I might bless them. If they're committed to me and, and they exercise loyal love and they inquire of me and seek to do it my way, I might bless them. That's not what it says, does it? Aren't you glad? I will. Don't you love the I wills of God? <laughs> that means it's going to happen. Buckle up. You're going to get blessed. <laughs> right? I love it. It's great stuff. God owns us. I'm going to leave you with five things here. And I uh, didn't think this up. I have it in one of my revival books that I read every now and then just to get revived. (laughs) There are five important things I believe that will help us in our loyal love and our commitment to God. Things that we need to be reminded of. Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to uh, fall prey to the flesh. And so we show the flesh no pity. There's only one sentence for the fallen nature, and it's called crucifixion. Who through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Put those things to death. Ruthless with self. Gentle with others. That is the motto that you and I are to live by. We are to be ruthless with our sin nature. There's no hope for it. It grows corrupt. You can't, he's not going to patch up the old man. There's no help for it. God's not interested. There's no one in the flesh that can please God, right? Five important things to deal with that so that we stay on track and remain loyal to God are one, call sin, sin. Oh, well, you know, it's just a weakness. That's not right. It's call sin, sin. No self-pity in this. Don't excuse yourself. Well, you know. No. No. Call sin, sin. Let no self-pity excuse your fallen behavior. Call it what it is. Number two. Never own anything. And what is meant by that is you understand that you have a stewardship. And I love what Corey Tin Boom had stuck with me when I heard this years and years ago. I've learned, she said, I've learned to hold on to the things that God has given to me with a slight grip. Paraphrasing this probably a little bit. Otherwise, if God has to 
pry my hand loose, it hurts. <laughs> so we don't really own it. We're stewards of it. And we realize that what we have has been given to us from God. Never own anything. That is your heart attitude. Number three, never defend yourself. That's a hard one, but don't do it. God help us not to defend ourselves. Number four, never pass on anything hurtful to, of another. And I've sinned more times than I care to admit about this one. Over the years, you say things that put people in a bad light. Don't do that. That's not our place. Who are we to judge another man's servant, right? God will take care of that. And so if you're convicted, I'm glad uh, because you shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. You should be convicted by these things They're because they're true. In our fallen nature, we're prone to do these things from time to time. But God help us. And we just need to recognize them so we, we don't do this. We don't live in this. I'm not pointing anybody out. Or th- I don't have anybody in mind except myself when I'm going through this list. Number five, never accept glory for anything. What I have and who I am is a result of God's work. And he's going to finish what he started in you and in me. Now unto him was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think or ask. It is both God who causes you to do, to know and to do of his good pleasure. It is God at work in you. Number one, calls sin, sin, don't. Let no self-pity excuse your behavior, fallen behavior. Number two, don't own anything. Never defend yourself. Number four, never pass on anything hurtful and never accept glory for anything. That is the road that God has called us to. That is the way of God's blessing. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We are so thankful for this priestly blessing, Lord, that reveals you and your kindness, and your goodness. Thank you for being who you are. And so, Lord, as we close out this, and as we sing this song, may it become a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.